This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum You guys doing okay? Yeah? This won't be as long, I promise. Okay, so I have uh, uh, two things in front of me. I really, like, super crazy loved this last talk about stories, and my head's still spinning from it. So um, I was supposed to talk to you about leadership and qualities of leadership, which is kind of a change of subject, but I'm kind of feeling like I should just tell you a story. (laughs) From the the Qur'an, what do you say? Story? Alright, so I'm gonna, sorry YM, I will switch the topic on you guys again. Okay. Because, you know, we just, we just discussed it in theory, we took a, a couple of points from uh, Surah Yusuf, so might as well stay on the theme and, you know, one of my favorite things to do is tell a story anyway. So, Bismillah, Salatu Wassalam, Ala Rasulullah. The individual that fascinates my imagination in the Qur'an is Musa alayhi salam. His narrative, his story is mentioned in several places in the Qur'an and every time it's just absolutely mind-boggling. And this particular case that I want to share with you belongs to Surah Taha. Surah Taha. Those of you who've attended some of my seminars before, I've discussed it in some detail and in some animated form the, uh, the dialogue between Musa alayhi salam and Fir'aun from Surah Al-Shu'ara, Surah number 26. But this conversation is from Surah number 20. Surah number 20. Okay? Surah Taha. Musa is on a journey. He's traveling with his family. And Allah tells us, وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ مُوسَى Did the news of Musa come to you? It's a really cool way of starting the story. وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ Hadith in Arabic is something new. And you know, most uh, by this time, the story of Musa has been mentioned some, somewhat before. But now Allah is going to tell one part of the story that He's never told before. So He says, did this part of Musa's story, did, did it get to you yet? Did you hear about this? And already the curiosity is piqued. And then He tells us, you know, He, he starts this conversation, He goes, Actually, before this even, he saw a fire and he said to his family, you stay here. You guys stay here. He's traveling with his family, it's in the middle of the night, you know, and the GPS batteries went out. And you know, there's, there's, it's dark, it's out in the desert, probably something like Texas, right? And, he's, and there's no lights anywhere, and, and he sees a fire, he sees a fire up on top of a mountain. Now the thing is, if it's completely dark and there's a fire on top of a mountain, who should see it? Everybody, everybody should see it, right? But the language of the ayah is, umkuthu, you stay here, inni anastunara. The language, the grammar of the ayah suggests, nobody else could see it. It is I for sure that sees it. And inna is used in Arabic to convince someone of something. It's used when you're not sure, you say for sure. When your listener is not sure. So it's almost as though Allah is telling us a conversation that happened between him and his family without going into those details. 
Like he says to his family, you see that? He says, what? I don't see anything. The, you know, the wife says, what are you talking about? I don't see anything. He goes, no, 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 for sure I see a fire there. You know why? Because Allah made that fire such that only who could see it? Only Musa alayhi Because in the middle of the desert, if there's a fire at night and people are lost, they're all gonna show up. But nobody else is supposed to show up. This appointment, this meeting is only with Musa alayhi salam. So only he sees it. So he says, no, no, for sure. I'm telling you, I see a fire. I've witnessed of inni anastu naran. And then he says to his family, لَعَلِّي آتِيكُم مِنْهَا بِقَبَسْ أَوْ أَجِدُ عَلَى النَّارِ هُدَى Maybe I'll bring to you some flame from it. Maybe I'll bring to you a little bit of, you know, some, some sparks from it. We can get something out of some heat from that flame. Because it's getting dark, it's late, and you know, the desert environment, it gets really cold. So he's in a sense of urgency. Of course, when you're getting something for your family, the fathers here can relate. If you're getting something for your family, and your family is left by themselves, even if they're in the hotel room, or at the airport, or somewhere else, and you have to go get food, you're in a hurry, you gotta get back. You know, you gotta rush. He's climbing up this mountain, but what's he worried about at this time? His family. That's what he's worried about, because they're by themselves in the middle of the dark. So he's hurrying his way up, and he says, When I get upon the flame, I might find some guidance there. I might find some direction. I might find some, some, you know, some way to get out of this dark mess where we can't you know, find our way. Now he th- when he's thinking of guidance, what kind of guidance is he thinking of? Directions. But what kind of guidance does he find? A different kind, right? <laughs> guidance for life. Guidance that Allah, that he could never have had from anywhere else. So there's a wordplay here from Allah. Like Allah is telling us, look, look what he thought he's gonna get, look what he got. Now he's climbing up this mountain by himself, middle of the night, there's a flame up there. He's never been this, this, to this place before. فَلَمَّا أَتَاهَا Then when he got to it, Lamma by the way is used in Arabic to prolong something. In other words, it took a while to get up there. It was quite a struggle. So now he's exhausted. He's up, reaching, you know, uh, approaching the top of the cliff. Nudia, a call was made. Ya Musa. Musa. You're up on top of a cliff, by yourself, in the middle of the night, and nobody even says, hey, who's there? Who are you? Nothing. He's called by his name. It's already shocking that he heard a voice. That's terrifying enough. But they know who he, the voice knows who he is. Ya Musa. And immediately at this point you're in shock, right? Because you know, if somebody knows your name, you're already like, uh, yeah? <laughs> you know? He's in shock. What does Allah tell him immediately? Inni ana rabbuk, alayk. No doubt about it, I'm your master. Take your shoes off. Now, he hasn't seen anything, he's only what at this point? He's heard a powerful voice. And the powerful voice has given him a command to do what? Take off his shoes. Take off his shoes. By the way, this is an interesting phenomenon. When Allah spoke, when Allah delivered the message to the Messenger wasallam, He introduced himself as a master too. And He also commanded at that time. What was the command to the Prophet? Read. Musa is told, I'm your master. What should you do? Shoes, take your shoes off. But there's a flip. In, in the case of the Messenger wasallam. The command came first, and then master was mentioned. Here, I'm your master, and therefore, فَخْلَعْنَا Then, as a result, take your shoes off. إِنَّكَ بِالْوَادِ الْمُقَدَّسِ 
You're in the sacred valley of Tuwa. Sorry, I didn't know. And he takes his shoes off. Right? Now Allah is beginning to... You know, at this point, when you're confused, you're like, what's going on? There must be some confusion. I must be at the wrong place. This, is, this isn't happening. Allah makes sure He understands you're in the right place. وَأَنَ It is I that has selected you. وَأَنَ اخْتَرْتُكَ I have selected you. It's a very interesting ayah, that, that's part of the ayah too. You know in Arabic if you say اخْتَرْتُكَ It just means I've selected you. But Allah says وَأَنَ اخْتَرْتُكَ So the, the I is mentioned twice. And the purpose of mentioning a pronoun twice in Arabic is to create exclusivity. It is I who has chosen you. Meaning this meeting was set up not by you but by me. You didn't come here because you wanted to get something. I brought you here. This is completely by plan. You know, and this, if you put it in perspective, what this means, and then eventually I'll go into the word khayr. Ikhtiyar comes from khayr. Musa alayhi salam is a baby at some point in his life, and he's put inside a basket. By the way, if anybody's seen Kung Fu Panda 2, they steal from Musa alayhi salam's story. They do. Literally a basket ends up, and then there's the, that peacock villain, right? It sees, it has a premonition that a panda is gonna kill it. So it kills all the pandas. And then Kung Fu Panda comes in the end and kills him. And I was like, come on, just, just give some credit, man. <laughs> this is not creative story. This is Musa Alayhi story. Told in the form of, you know, DreamWorks. But, you know. But anyhow, away from that tangent. Musa Alayhi is a baby. A water is in the basket. But even that, that, that basket has a tracking on it. It has a recipient, a specific recipient it's supposed to end up in the hands of. And then it's supposed to be raised the way it's supposed to be raised. At the hands of the one that is supposed the one who's gonna be destroyed by this baby will raise him. That's part of the plan. And then he'll punch someone and what's gonna to happen to the guy? He's gonna die. And then you're gonna flee. That's part of the plan too. And you have a scheduled eight year of you know uh, uh, work visa. Right? You have some you have work to do in, in another part and, and stay in exile. And then you're gonna be get traveling and you will end up being in the middle of the dark in the desert. That's on schedule two. And you've arrived just on time. This appointment by the minute, by the second was scheduled. Wa Then there's the word ikhtiyar. In Arabic there are three different words for choosing something. And Allah chose specific, specifically ikhtara, ikhtaru, ikhtiyar. This word in Arabic as opposed to ijtiba and istifa. This word in particular means to choose something for the good in them. Because it comes from the Arabic word khayr. You know what khayr is, right? Khayr and shar, good and evil, khayr. Why mention this word particularly? Ulama comment that Musa salam had a riding guilt. He had killed an individual. That guilt was not letting him go. He felt like he was no good. And Allah told him, I have chosen you because I see the good in you. Meaning Allah sees the good in him that he might not even be able to see in himself. And he's chosen him. And listen carefully to what's being revealed. Now Allah tells him, I've, I've chosen you, you specifically, you better listen carefully to what's being revealed. It is no doubt I, I am Allah. La ilaha illa ana. No one is to be worshipped and obeyed except myself. Fa'budni. Then enslave yourself to me. Fa'budni. Enslave yourself to me. The first command was take your shoes off. That's just the beginning of obedience. But now, you know, who obeys in every circumstance? A slave. You tell someone to do something once, you've obeyed them, maybe you're a servant, you've served them, you've obeyed them. 
But to obey them in every circumstance, you have to be a slave. There's a transition here from one command being obeyed to just becoming a, a life of, turning into a life of obedience. فَعْبُدْنِي And before I tell you what's coming next, there's a little bit of background, it's really important. All of you in your life have had the opportunity to meet somebody famous. At one point or another, relatively famous. Maybe you've got, you got to meet the principal of your school and they shook hands with you or something. Or they, you invited some scholar to your house and you had a chance to talk to them. Or you, you, know, you had lunch with somebody famous, etc. Et or you met a celebrity or something. You're on the plane, you're sitting next to like a player from the NBA or something like that. When people meet a celebrity, what do they usually do? Besides drooling, what, what, they, what else do they do? That's <laughs> what they do. And then they take a picture with them, and then, you know, and they, you know, and then when they're done taking a picture, they tweet about it, and they Facebook about it, and then they, they're, they're like, you know who I got to meet? Oh my God. You know, I was at Ikna, and Sheikh Yasir Qadi was praying next to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he even said, Wa alaikum salam. You know, I'm never washing this hand again. <laughs> and so, People go a little crazy when they meet somebody famous. They go, well, you know, but it becomes a memory they never forget. If you even go to older people's homes that if had the opportunity to meet someone famous, they usually take that picture and frame it on the wall. Like they shook hands with the president or the CEO or whatever else. And if you're working in a company, a large company especially, and the CEO walks in and stops over at your cubicle and puts his hand on, on your shoulder and says, good job. You know, just those words, you'll never forget. Because you just had the opportunity to meet someone super duper famous. You just, you can't get that memory out of your head. It's, a, it's one of the, like the milestone, great uh, uh, moments of your life. Who is Musa salam getting to meet? Who is he just getting a chance to talk to? Allah, you think he's ever gonna forget? This is a conversation that's of epic proportions in human history. A conversation is happening between Allah and a human being. And the conversation was initiated by Allah directly. By His name He called Him, Musa. I've chosen you, listen up. You know, it's incredible. And you know Allah tells him, no one should be worshipped except myself, enslave yourself to me. And then He tells him, وَأَقِمِ salata لِذِكْرِي This part of it just baffles, boggles my mind. Establish the prayer so you can remember me. The question I have is, he's never gonna forget. How can he forget? He just got to, he's in conversation with Allah. If there's one thing Musa will never ever forget, is this. And Allah says, even you, if you really want to remember me, what do you have to do? Establish salat. Can you imagine the value of when it comes to remembering Allah? It's, it's amazing how Allah puts that in perspective. And then after the, you know, remembering Allah would be the primary purpose of establishment, of establishing prayer. Here's the secondary purpose, it comes right after. In the sa'ata atiyatun. The hour is coming. Day of judgment is coming. It's on its way. And the word atiyatun is in fa'il in Arabic means it's, it's running, it's coming right now. It's on its way. Things are in motion already. Akadu ukhfiha litujza kullu nafsin bima tas'a. I'm almost keeping it hidden. Allah says, akadu ukhfiha. I'm almost keeping it hidden. By saying almost, what has He told us? There are some signs I will release. There are some things I will let you see. I won't show you everything, but I'll give you some indications. And our Prophet gave us some of those indications. 
لِتُجْزَ كُلُّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا تَسْحَى So every person can, it's beautiful language, so every person can be compensated for what they ran towards. تَسْعَى It's usually translated as what efforts they made. But سَعِي in Arabic is literally running towards something. Like we do سَعِي in Hajj and Umrah. Right, we make the سَعِي. What's really beautiful is Musa alayhi salam got here by means of سَعِي. He ran to this place, didn't he? He, had a, he, had, he ran and he was running sincerely and Allah says, so Allah gives everybody what they ran towards. And you ran towards this. SubhanAllah. Now this conversation is very serious. It began with Musa. And by the way, here's another difference. Very important. Uh, hopefully you'll, be, you'll get to appreciate this, in, especially in, as, a, as a parent. You tell my child, if I'm, if I'm you know, playing with my kids or something, or I'm in the musalla with them. Yesterday I had a very interesting salat experience with two of my boys. Right, because you know you're you're gotta hold them in place, and you gotta make salat. With girls, they sit in one place, man. They just stay in one place. With with boys, it's I don't know why. What is it? And I don't want to be the guy that make the announcement of it. There's a little boy here. He's wearing a dirty shirt. You know, I don't I don't want to be that dad. So I'm keeping them in check. But the you know when you're when you're telling your kids not to do something, you say their name first. Imad. Walid, Abdullah, Fatima, you don't even have to say stop it, don't do that, you just do what? You call their name. Calling somebody's name is a form of harshness. In the beginning of your talk, if you, if you want to say something to someone, and you say their name first, it's a, it's a form of strictness. But saying somebody's name at the end, so how was your day Musa? How's your day Walid? When you say the name at the end, what happens? It's a form of what? Love, softness, mercy. You notice the difference? That when the conversation began between Allah and Musa salam, where was the name, beginning or end? Musa, take your shoes off. Harsh, there's a toughness here. Now listen. What's in your right hand, Musa? Where's the word Musa? At the end. What's in your hand, Musa? What has Allah just done? He got soft. He got nice. He's calming him down. He's, he realizes Musa salam is at this point really terrified. He just got, Allah just gave him a lecture. Allah just gave him a lecture about first take your shoes off. I'm your master. You better establish, become my slave, establish prayer. Judgment day is coming. I'm keeping it hidden, and I'll give everybody a compensation of what they... I mean, if you just heard that in the course, this doesn't, it's not a long conversation. This one minute is probably the most shocking one minute of his life. He needs to be calmed down now, so what does Allah say? So, uh, what's in your hand? What's in your right hand, Musa? What's that? Now, does Allah know what that is? By the way, what's in his hand? Okay. So this part of the conversation, Allah has calmed Musa salam down. Is that clear? He's calmed him down. Musa salam realizes he's about to talk to Allah. Not many people can say that. Not many people can say, I got to talk to Allah. So when you get to talk to somebody important, would you like the conversation to last longer or short? You'd like it to stay longer. You wouldn't want the connection to be, to be lost. You know, you want to prolong the conversation. So what does he say? He says, هَذِهِ asaya." This is my staff. By the way, staff in, in English is not the people you hire, it's the old English, right? Staff is the big stick, 
that you carry. And we don't use the word cane because canes are signs of weakness, but staffs are, are symbols of strength. It takes a strong person to hold a staff. And when somebody holds a cane, it's a symbol that they are now weak. They lean on that and they, you know, they need that to recline. And that's, their pri- that's the primary purpose of a, uh, of a cane. But this is a staff, it's a large stick. هذه What was the question? What was the question, guys? What's in your right hand? What's the answer? This is my staff. Question is done, answer is done. Musa doesn't stop. He says, I lean on it sometimes. Did Allah ask, what do you do with it? Allah didn't ask. Allah did not, all Allah asked was one thing, which was what? What is it? And he said, this is my staff, uh, I lean on it. And I beat on bushes with it so that my sheep can eat. But you know it's a stick. How many things are you gonna come up with? <laughs> right? So he runs out of things to say. But he wants the conversation to go on, alayhi salam, because he's getting to talk to Allah. So he, exhausting his imagination, says, and I've got some other things I can do with it too. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing that he says that. Because what's he trying to do? Keep it going. And it, sh- it shows you his nervousness, alayhi salam. And Allah says, Qala, very softly Allah says, Qala, alqiha ya Musa. Throw it, Musa. Now what's the harsh way of saying it? Ya Musa, alqiha. But Allah says, alqiha ya Musa. Throw it, Musa. Just throw it. He throws it. You know, alqaha. Now here we don't say falamma alqaha. We say just faalqaha. You know, when he climbed the mountain, we read the word falamma ataha. It took him time to get to the mountain. It took an effort. But when Allah commanded him to throw, did it take him any time? No, he just immediately. Yes, sir. Yes, Allah. Threw it. He, threw, he throws the staff immediately. فَإِذَا هِيَ حَيَّةٌ تَسْعَى Then immediately it turns into a python moving around. And by the way, it didn't just turn into a snake, تَسْعَى, it's running around. Now imagine, you were just calm, you were nervous, and Allah very softly told you, throw the stick, Musa. And the moment he throws it, what happens? It's a gigantic python, and what is it doing? Running around. You're calm anymore? No. <laughs> All that calm is, is gone. All that calm is gone. He's at this point, he must have been terrified. He really, I mean, it's, it's a human reaction to be terrified. Snakes already have a, a very terrifying appearance. Even the appearance of a snake is horrific, right? And then on top of that, the thing is running around and it's, it's massive. And it just came out of nowhere, and that was his staff. Now at this point, what does Allah tell him? Look at the words. Qala, khudha, grab it. Grab it? Wala takhaf, and don't be afraid. Grab it, don't be afraid. You know what I was gonna say? If I was in that situation, I was telling my kid to grab something, don't be afraid, grab it. That's what I would say. Don't be afraid. Grab it. What did Allah say? Grab it. Don't be afraid. 
Amazing. It's amazing. Because Allah is expecting obedience first. Obedience first. And then courage. The obedience is in what part of the ayah? Grab it. Khudha. Where's courage in the ayah? La takhaf, don't be afraid. And then there's the third part of the ayah, سَنُعِيدُهَا سِيرَةَ الْأُخْرَى You know, سِيرَةَ الْأُولَى We will return it back to its original state. Three parts in one ayah, three parts of this commandment. And this is where I'll end this story, even though the story is much longer and so beautiful. It's amazing. You gotta read it on your own though. Enjoy the story. It's, it's how Allah tells a narrative is incredible. Every little detail just takes you into a world. You know when uh, Shaykh Yasser was describing qasa yaqussu, to follow behind, it literally Allah takes you to the scene. He just literally takes you there. You and I are at the mountain at this point. You know, when we're, when we're listening to this story. Now the thing is, just in this grabbing the staff, gra- grabbing the snake, not being afraid, and then Allah says, we will return it to its original state, meaning what? It'll become a staff again. So now imagine a snake is running around and you're being told, the moment you grab it, it'll be a stick, don't worry. The moment you grab it, and you need to do that immediately, there shouldn't be any time lapse between Allah's command and you obeying, because when Allah says, we obey, there's no gap in between. So grab it immediately and know, and first of all, you need to be courageous after that when you grab it, and know for sure, the moment you do, it's not gonna turn back and bite you, what's it gonna turn a stick. Is that an easy thing or no? Does that take an amazing amount of trust of Allah? Three things. Obey. Obey. Grab it. Is obey. The second thing was courage. And the third thing is what? Trust. Trust me, it'll be a stick. Just trust me. Three things. The three things Musa alayhi salam will need when he goes to talk to Fir'aun. He will need to obey Allah. He'll need to obey Allah. And he'll need to go back into Egypt. And when he goes into Egypt out of obedience to Allah, the closer he gets, the more what? The scarier things will become. The scarier, because the authorities are looking for him. It's not easy to go back to Egypt. And when he gets finally there, he's convinced he's gonna get killed. In Surah Al-Shu'ara we learned. In Surah Al-Shu'ara he says, you know, إِنِّي أَخَافُ أَنْ يَقْتُلُونَ I'm afraid they're gonna kill me. That's a very legitimate fear that Musa salam has. And Allah says, don't trust me. Don't worry about it. Taken care of. Those three lessons of obeying Allah, being courageous, and trusting Allah, the entire tarbiyah program of that, on the top of that mountain is what one thing? Grab the snake. Just that. خُذْهَا وَلَا تَقَفْ سَنُعِيدُهَا سِرَةَ الْأُولَى Amazing, isn't it? That Allah does that, He teaches such amazing lessons in one little, one statement. And now this messenger is ready. If he can pull that off, he can pull anything off. I mean that, at this point, Allah will take care of it. Allah will take care of my problem. You know? This is how stories are told in the Qur'an. This is the narrative of the Qur'an. It takes you there. It just, it grabs you, and it doesn't let you go. And if you, if you guys, inshallah, at another point, hopefully maybe I'll do the entire conversation. The entire conversation between, and this is a good chunk of the surah, it's a very long uh, discussion between Allah Azza and Musa salam. Allah even lets him know, you know, by the way, it's, this is not the first time I'm actively involved in your life. You know? 
when your when your mother put you in the in you know in the water and your sister was walking next to you allah is telling him about times of his life he doesn't even remember you know how you take your child sometimes and you tell him you know when you were a little baby you were so annoying <laughs> nothing has changed <laughs> parents do that they go reminisce about old times you don't remember but i can't forget Allah is reminding Musa of times even Musa can't remember about his own life in this narrative. Like you know, when you meet someone for the first time, you would think this, they don't know me. Because they're, you know, why would they, this important figure, why would they know something about me? I just met some brother here, a good friend, an old friend from New Jersey. And his name is Norman too. And I said, hey Norman, how you doing? He goes, I can't believe you remember my name. I was like, what are you talking about, man? That's messed up. <laughs> But you know, there's an assumption if somebody's a little more known than you are, that they won't remember who you are. You're insignificant before them. What is Allah Azza wa Jal compared to a creation? And Allah honors Musa alayhi by saying, I have even, I'll even tell you the details of your childhood. And Allah doesn't have to prove that to him. Allah knows everything. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. He does. But He still makes sure He tells him, your sister was walking along, and then you punched the guy, and then you left. You know, and then we, then you, then you were brought here. Subhanallah. What an amazing conversation between master and slave that happens in the in this narrative. There's only one thing I'd like to add to the concept of stories in the Quran. That uh, Shaykh Yasir he said he made four very significant points, and he said there are many, many more. So I'd only like to add one more, just one more, inshallah. And that is that that is that the stories in the Quran are repeated, right? And they're not, except for Yus, the story of Yusuf salam, they're not all told in one place. Meaning Yusuf salam's story is all bunched together in which surah? Obviously, Surah Yusuf. But that's not the case with the story of Musa salam. That's not the case. We have a piece of it here, a piece of it there, a piece of it there, a piece of it there. The story of Bani Israel is not in one place. The story of Ibrahim salam is not in one place. The story of Adam salam is not in one place. They're scattered. They're scattered and repeated. So there's two issues here. From a literature point of view, they're scattered and they are repeated. Or some parts of them at least are repeated. So the question arises to the Western critic and to someone who's reading the Qur'an in translation, what's the point of this repetition? What's the point of repeating the story? What's the point of not just putting all of it together in one, make a surah called Surah Musa and put everything there? Done. Doesn't happen like that. It's all 70 some passages in the Qur'an about Musa salam. you know that? It's a very often re repeated uh, uh, discussion. So what's the how are surahs placed in the Qur'an? That's the thing I wanted to... This is the, that, that fifth point. How are they placed? How are they situated in the Qur'an? Think of it like this. Every surah is a collection of very important lessons. Every surah is a collection of very important lessons. And they're all tied together. So a surah is like a thesis. Like a course you're taking, it's like a, that's a surah. A lot of times when we study the Qur'an, we study an ayah from over here, and we study another ayah that's related to that ayah over there, and then we study a story that's related to these two ayah from over there. In other words, we have a very disjointed study of the Qur'an. When we, stick to, we, when we study a surah, we normally don't stick to the surah as a whole, as a unit. You do that with every other book, by the way. When you study a chapter, you finish the chapter. If something comes up in that chapter, you don't open up another book and say, let me go read up on that first. You just finish that chapter. But normally, for people who aren't dedicated students of the Qur'an, they don't take a, 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 a wholesome approach to studying a surah like that. But a surah really is a unified whole. It has a purpose. It has a singular purpose. 
it may have it may have a lot of lessons, but they all go together towards one larger concept. Now, have you ever heard the concept of um, supporting evidence? Supporting evidence. The stories in the Quran are not being told for the purpose of telling the story. They're being told to support the lesson of that surah. The the surah has a lesson. And the part of the story, only that part of the story will be mentioned that helps you understand the lesson at hand. No other part of that story will be mentioned. So the Qur'an is not concerned with dates and names of places in detail, names of figures. Even Yusuf Alayhi the most elaborate story in the Qur'an are the names of the brothers mentioned. Is the name of the minister mentioned? Is the name of Yusuf Alayhi mother mentioned? Is the name of the minister's wife mentioned? Man, there's only two names. What two names? Yusuf and Yaqub, because even though the story is critical, those details are not the purpose. The purpose is something larger. So anything that doesn't go towards the larger purpose is compromised. The Bible doesn't do this. Or the, the version of the Bible that is in our possession at this point, or that we have access to at this point, you'll find names, dates, figures, the son of this, who's the son of this, who's the son of this, who lived here, and then they moved over there. And then they lived over there, and it, it's all these details. All these details. Quran doesn't concern itself with that. Why? Because it's not the point. And I'll just give you one additional example, and I'm done inshallah, of this concept. And by the way, this is even true of Surah Yusuf, which you would think the point of the surah is the story. But even then, the point is in the story. Even in Surah Yusuf, the point is the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. Did you know that? The, the entire surah is actually a discussion about the life of the Prophet. There are in amazing amounts of parallels between the Prophet's life and Surah Yusuf. It's the year of grief when the surah is revealed. And the surah is about the, the grief of Yusuf and the grief of his father. It's a time Yusuf brothers persecuted him. The Prophet's brothers, the Quraysh persecuted him. Yusuf was put in a dark place. Rasulullah is put in a cave. He ex exiled. Yusuf eventually comes back and establishes the legacy of his father, Yaqub. Rasulullah eventually comes back and establishes the legacy of his father, Ibrahim. Yusuf comes back at his brothers and says, No harm will come on you today. Rasulullah says, By the way, I'll do what Yusuf did. Amazing parallels between both of those sides. And what's, you know, uh, uh, Shaykh Yasser mentioned one thing about the beginning and ending of the surahs. You remember Ulul Al-Bab and at the end also Ibrah. Another thing, Allah says in the beginning, in the beginning of the surah, He says, إِنَّا أَنزَلَّهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًا لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ So that you can understand. We reveal in Arabic Qur'an so that, what can you do? You can understand. End of the surah, don't you understand? أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ Amazing. It's like the whole thing comes together. Whole thing comes together. I'll just can I give you one more example. One quick. It came in my head. Might as well. Okay. Surah Al-Baqarah, one of the long or the longest surah in the Quran. In Surah Al-Baqarah, so many subjects have come up. In the middle of the, the towards the end of the surah, of the many stories of Bani Israel, Allah mentions license plate number. No. Okay. Ten minutes. Okay. All right. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions. The story of Talut and Jalut. Talut and Jalut. You guys know the story? What's the biblical name of that story? Anybody know? David and Goliath. The biblical version is called David and Goliath. 
And if you don't know the story, the summary version of it is Dawud alayhi salam, a young man, really a boy, ends up killing Goliath, Jalut, who is a military commander who people are terrified of. Really, like they're known as armies of giants. They're very, very big people. And they're fully covered in armor except their eye shows. Right, that's how cover, and that's a horrifying appearance of an army that's coming your way, and yet he is defeated by a slingshot of Dawud alayhi salam. Okay? Now, this occurs, this surah, Surah Al Baqarah has many things, and this story occurs towards the end of the surah, and right before it, Allah is preparing the Muslims for the battle that is coming, the battle of Badr. Right before it, Allah Azza wa Jal talks about fighting in the path of Allah that is approaching. And be ready for it. And immediately switches over to Bani Israel and the story of Talut and Jalut. And in that story, one of the many lessons in that story, كَمْ مِنْ فِئَةٍ قَلِيلَةٍ غَلَبَتْ فِئَةً كَثِيرَةً بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ How many times has a, has a large group been overtaken? And how many times has a small group dominated a large group by Allah's permission? Is that about to happen in Badr? SubhanAllah. Allah is giving us like pre-game pep talk. You know, before you get into the, the battle, there's this, you know, in the locker room basically. You're being fired up. We're not the first ones to go. This has been done before. We're part of a legacy. Let me tell you about a Badr that happened a long time ago. And this is how it turned out. And this is what you have to do to make it, make it work this time. SubhanAllah. We're being prepared. It's not just a story. Tell the Sahaba, it's not a story. They're not reading the history of Bani Islam. They're reading preparation for what they're about to do. That's what they're reading. أَفْرِغْ عَلَيْنَا صَبْرًا وَثَبِّتْ أَقْدَامَنَا وَانْصُرْنَا عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ Pour patience onto us. Make our feet firm and aid us against the disbelieving nation. These are words of the followers, the believers, the followers of Talut And now they will become the words of the Sahaba Firm our feet. Make us patient. Aid us against the disbelieving nation. SubhanAllah. It's not just a story. It's not just placed there for any you know, trivial reason. It's situated for a very specific purpose. Very, very specific purpose. And so even though I apologize that I completely compromised the subject of leadership, which I had some things to share with you uh, about, but uh, nonetheless I thought since we have good momentum going with the stories, uh, might as well share some things. Jazakumullah khairan for listening attentively. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.